Amen and amen. Thank you so much for that kiss and that world in love. Amen. Let's open our Bibles back up to the book of Jude this morning. Jude, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 again. Uh, we've already read them for our reading. We're going to read them once more time, have a brief prayer, and get into this morning's sermon. Looking forward to this. It's been on my heart for several weeks now, and I uh, wanted to dig into these. Uh, this Well, actually, one verse this morning. We'll look at it. Jude, and verse 1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God and the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you. And peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again, for the opportunity and time to be together. We pray now for your mighty hand to work in our lives. We pray that you make a difference in our souls today. I pray, dear God, that collectively our hearts and minds will be focused upon the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But my hope and my prayer today would be when everything is done and said, when the final amen is, is shouted out this morning, I pray that the effect of the sermon the effect of the Word of God would not soon leave us, that it would carry us forward throughout this week and this month and this year. And Lord, until we await the, the glorious appearing of you in the air to call us home, Father, let us be mindful of the precious Word that not only spoken here today, but every time that, that God moves in a mighty way in our life. In Jesus Christ's name we ask these things. Amen and amen. Jews said in verse 3, When I gave all diligence to write, Unto you. Not a very catchy title this morning. It's almost a sentence, if you will, but boy, what a depth of knowledge. What a, what a depth that we'll find just in that particular verse today. Uh, what a depth that is in this book. I love the book of Jude. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's a remarkable book. And uh, uh, even when you begin to look at the background of the book itself. Now, Jude is, a, is another form of the name Judah, uh, J-U-D-A, or Judas, which is, uh, is the names that appear in the Gospels. Mark in chapter 6 and verse 3 says, uh, Is not this the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Josie and Judah and, uh, and Simon? Uh, and are not his sisters here with us? Uh, and, they are, and they were offended at him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, we see in Matthew 13, 55, Is not this the carpenter's son? Uh, is, uh, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James, Josie, Simon, and Judas? So we see this name uh, in the Holy Scriptures, uh, the word Jew. We see Jude here, the title of the epistle, Judah. We see it, Judas. Those are all the same names. Now, there are two people named Jude in the New Testament. There's Jude, the brother of James, uh, who is uh, one half the brother of Jesus and the full brother uh, of James, the Lord's brother, if you will, Matthew 13, 55, that we just looked at. And, and Paul even mentions uh, uh, the brother of James. He even mentions James here. He says, but other apostles, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now, the other guys we find is Judas referred to as not Iscariot. There's a, a, a differentiation they make there in John chapter 14, verse 22. Now, he is one of the twelve apostles, and he's also called Labius, surnamed Thaddeus. We see this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, or Labius, if you will, whose surname was Thaddeus. Now, this is Judas, the brother of James, as mentioned in Luke 6, verse 16, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. James being the, the James, the son of Alphaeus, okay? Which is found in Luke 6, verse 15. Now, just a little background, if you will, on the book of Jude, because, guys, even though Jude is a very small letter, very small epistle, 
but it is packed with loads of power. But again, just like everything, especially uh, uh, everything that's packed with seemingly more power and more effect, uh, you know, the modern culture wants to, they want to tear it down. They want to de-emphasize it, if you will. They want to overemphasize some things and de-emphasize other things. So the modern self-proclaimed scholars, guys, they remove the apostolic authorship of this book, and they base it on three reasons. Uh, the first reason they teach that the epistle of James was written by James, the Lord's brother, and his brother uh, Judas was not an apostle, so they remove that. There's no bearing, there's no proof, there's no evidence whatsoever of this type of uh, uh, application. The second reason, the scholars, uh, they don't think that the apostle Judas himself would have written verse 17 where he speaks about the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they feel as if he wrote, when he wrote the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was someone that would be on the outside, seemingly not an apostle, thus removing the apostolic authorship of the letter and saying, okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, reference the apostles because I'm not one. That's their interpretation. Makes no sense whatsoever. This does not discount him, uh, the, uh, the uh, apostle Judas, as the author by any. Uh, it's beyond common sense if you want to know the truth because the apostle Paul mentions the apostles himself. He mentions them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, while he himself was an apostle. So it's just a silly reason that the modern scholars try to throw out there. And the third one, guys, is just, it's just equally comical, but it is devastating, I'll say. The scholars say that the italicized words, the brother, okay, in Luke 6, 16 and Acts 1, 13, they say, well, those words are not in the Greek text. So, therefore, that makes the apostle Judas, the son of James, not his brother. Now, guys, we've seen often too many times the idiocy propagated when they get rid of the italicized words in the A.V., when they want to attack the AV, we say they want to remove those italicized words as if God was not involved in bringing together the preservation and the purification of the Holy Word of God to give it to us today. And so we see all three of those ideologies there of removing the, the apostolic authorship of the book of Jude. All are silly by no accounts. So with all that said, guys, what we're going to do, we're just going to stick to the truth this morning that the author of the book of Jude is Judas Thaddeus, if you will, uh, the apostle uh, that we know given him that apostolic authorship. I mean, the entire book is only one chapter. It's 25 verses, 608 words uh, that's included. And the date, the date range for the writing of the book of Jude is somewhere between AD 40 and AD 80. And you say, that's a long, that's a great period of time. Most people, including Schofield, Schofield locks it down to about AD 66. Others have locked it down at AD 65. And you know what? That's, that's as good of a guess or an application as any. I personally like the, the fact, like to think that it was written somewhere in that, uh, that, that 60s year, 64 through 66. One reason being is because the Apostle Paul would have still been alive. He was not executed until AD 68. And uh, so I, I think it's a great thought to have it during that period of time. But nonetheless, we know that it was written sometime between 40 and 80 AD. Now, the overwhelming majority of this book, if you've read Jude, you understand what I'm getting ready to say. The overwhelming majority of the book is very dark, very, very dark. As a matter of fact, guys, if you were to, if you were to remove, okay, only five verses, the first three verses and the last two verses from, uh, the word, from this epistle, it would be an incredibly faith-shaking depressing letter. It would be incredibly depressing, but thank God today 
that those five verses, in fact, are in the Word of God. They are the Word of God. And what a wonderful blessed encouragement that we receive. Not only do we see the prophecy of, of the wretched apostates and the great falling away uh, of the church today in the faith, uh, which is in full force this morning. We understand in full force in the world today. But we also see eternal security as its greatest, and we see the formula for remaining steadfast in the world. Uh, but even, even in the midst of the weakness and the religious state that's marred by falsehood, we understand just by that introduction and closing uh, verses in this letter, verses 1 through 3, and the final verses, verse 24 and 25, we understand that God is with us at all times, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We understand that our salvation is eternally secure in him, despite the apostasy of those in the world today. We can understand through this simple letter the dynamic application of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the key verse within all these 25, the key verse is what we're going to look at this morning. The key verse in this epistle is verse 3. And that's what we're going to look at today. Read it with me again, if you will. Verse 3, the Bible tells us, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know what Jude's desire was? Jude's heartfelt desire, when he sat down and he got his quill out, he got his parchment out, and he began to, he felt the Holy Spirit of God impress it on him to write a letter to all Christians. It was to write concerning the common salvation. Again, verse 3 says, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Hey, beloved, what Christian today does not enjoy sweet fellowship one with another? Christian fellowship, guys, is nothing like anything else in this world. The world cannot synthetically uh, reproduce it. They cannot copy it. They, there is nothing like the bearing of the witness of the Holy Spirit of God between brothers and sisters in Christ. I remember during missions conference at New Testament in our first church in Tennessee, we would stay there after church and all the preaching and singing and the hooping and hollering and having a great time. But we would stay there till the wee hours of the night, uh, guys, and we would have fellowship one with another. As a matter of fact, our very first missions conference, 2001, it was, the only time, it was the only time that we ever had our missions conference in August. Uh, it was the last time we ever had it in August because it was hotter than blue blazes in the church, a little building we were in. We had 27 missionaries come through during that, that conference between a Sunday and a Wednesday that week. Actually, I think we went a little further that week. It was Sunday through maybe Friday, but nonetheless. So we had 27 guys come through. Half were American missionaries and evangelists uh, who were reaching America or going overseas as a missionary on deputation. The other half were national pastors from all over the world, from the Philippines, from Mexico, from you name it, guys. National pastors that would come that came across and national preachers that would come across. And it was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. As a matter of fact, our, our, first, uh, our first conference, guys, was just a few weeks away from our very first Old Past Preachers meeting, which actually happened the Saturday before 9-11-2001. I remember it like it was yesterday. But guys, I can remember in particular because all of, the, all of the Mexican pastors stayed at our house. My mom and dad kept those from the Philippines. They had known them for years on end uh, from our home church in Florida at that time. And, and so all the Filipino pastors stayed with them. Uh, we had a, a couple pastors from Togo and one, a couple from Haiti stayed with other uh, church members. And 
and, and all the ones from Mexico stayed in our house with us. And, and it was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And after the services in the evening time, we would come back to the house and, and with these preachers from Mexico, and we would have sweet fellowship with one with another. We would talk about the great things that, that the Lord had done for us. We would talk about our salvation, and we would talk about uh, just what it was like to be saved and serve God, and, and all of these things. One particular individual, a dear friend of mine, Brother Humberto Gomez, we would sit there and he would, he would give testimony of his salvation and speak about how he was the first one in his family to get saved and then talk about when his brother got saved and finally in years on, his mother got saved in this family, then his children, and all of these things were transpiring. He received a phone call one night, uh, one night to where uh, from his son, Humberto Jr., and Humberto III, the third, uh, had a tragedy had happened to him, a, a case uh, that had encompassed a piano, had fallen over and fallen on his head, all right? And I mean, it, it, he was, matter of fact, the, the word was they have, they, have, they have transported him to McAllen, Texas. And since they were taking him stateside to a hospital, Brother Humberto knew this was a very tragic time. It's late in the night at our house there in Tennessee, and we're all gathered around in our living room. We're still drinking coffee, believe it or not, and we're fellowshipping, and that tragedy came in. But we all fell to our knees and we began to plead and, and, and plead with God and plead with God and plead with God that he would miraculously do something, make a change, make a difference, do something. And we prayed for, I can't even remember how long we prayed for, but it was the wee hours of the morning when we finally finished. And we sat up in our sofas and on the chairs there and we continued to fellowship sweet buys and buys and about an hour would go by and his phone would ring one more time. And praise God, the young boy came out of surgery. He was awake. He was, he was, he was fluid. And listen, he nearly died. His brain was swelling. All this tragedy. And he just shouted out. And the best way a Mexican can, I'm not going to try to duplicate it this morning, but I'll tell you what, he shouted out in that house and it rang throughout the entire house. That was sweet glory and sweet fellowship watching the hand of God move move in a mighty way. And it was associated, it was linked together with a bond of a common salvation. And that's what Jude wanted to write about. That's what Jude wanted to say. That was exactly what Jude wanted to write to these people. He wanted to write to us today of the sweetness of a common salvation. Beloved, there is no replacement, nor should there ever be a replacement for this common salvation. This is what Jude desired to write about. And why not? Who doesn't want to write a positive letter to the believers in Christ today of this common salvation? Who doesn't want to encourage everybody on a Sunday of the common salvation that we have? The Bible tells us uh, uh, about the beauty of the common salvation in Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. Uh, Paul says to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Guys, we hear about a diversity of uh, faith in our world today. We hear about a pluralistic view of religion today. And I'm here to tell you this morning, guys, there is but one belief for salvation. That is the common faith. That is the common salvation, which is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way to heaven. There's one way, and that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. But that salvation, that common salvation this morning is linked to our conversation, our conversation. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can I say this to you this morning? Your conversation is your lifestyle. Not just the words you say, but the life that you live. This word conversation, if you will, has the idea 
as to be a citizen, to be an administrator of civil affairs, to manage the state, to make, a, make or create a citizen, to be a citizen, and to behave as a citizen. If you're a child of God today, if you're part of this common salvation, if you're part of this common faith, you are, you are a citizen in the heaven. You could say you have a dual citizenship, one that is fleshly here on the earth in the United Kingdom, and the other one in the kingdom of all glory in heaven today. And I'm here to tell you, our life must become the gospel of Christ. So I ask you this question this morning, as we talk about this common salvation, do you live as becometh the gospel of Christ? Does your life, all that your life represent, does it represent the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you faithful this morning? I didn't say convenient. I said faithful this morning. Anyone can be convenient. Anyone can be where they're supposed to be. They can dip in and they can dip out when it's convenient, guys. But faithfulness is a whole other game altogether. What does faithfulness look like? What is this common salvation, this common faith? What does being faithful to that look like? It looks like the gospel remains sure in your life, solid in your life, secure, even when we are not. Is that not true this morning? When we're not faithful to God, he's still faithful to us. When we're not faithful to him, his gospel is still sure and secure in him. When we fall by the wayside, he is still there with us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. Amen. That's the common salvation, beloved. We need to ask ourselves this morning, does our life represent the common salvation? This is what Jude desired to write about. He wanted to encourage, he wanted to write and just get some sweet fellowship in a small little epistle. And I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. His desire with all diligence was to write about the common salvation. However, he was compelled to do otherwise. He was compelled to do otherwise. In the next part of verse 3, the Bible says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you. So he wants to write of the common salvation, but somewhere along the line, someone stood in. They stepped in and says, Hang on a second. Let me compel you because I need to write, I need to exhort you. This word exhort means to summons and to encourage. And undoubtedly, Jude wanted to share the beauty and fellowship and sharing the blessings of being saved with all born-again believers. He wanted to give them that encouragement. He wanted to give them that attaboy. He wanted to give them all of those things that we look for and we desire and we want in this life today. He wanted to write of the joy of salvation, yet the Holy Spirit of God stepped in and said, now, nah, hang on a second. Just well, hang on a second. It's needful for you to write about something else. He said, you know what, the, that Holy Spirit of God moved into Jude's life, and he says, hang on, there needs to be a warning, a diligent encouragement to the people who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they believe they knew what was, the Lord knew what was and what would be needed. He knew what was going on in that day. He knew what was brewing. He knew what was going to happen on later on. He knew it was going to happen nearly 2,000 years later in the world that we stand today. And that's the reason and the purpose we have the epistle of Jude this morning. It wasn't a commendation of the common faith, but rather a warning Jude was compelled to write about. A shot across the bow to warn believers of false teachers who were and would rise within the churches. These apostate souls would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They would mock out his sacrifice. They would attack his inspired word, and they would seek to replace his word with their own. As you can see in our world today that they have done. Jude will go on to compare the wickedness of false prophets in the Old Testament 
with the same of the false teachers in the New Testament. He links them both together with the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels of Genesis 6 who are the sons of God, and the acts that took, that took them against God and His Word, and the judgment which would follow. Why was Jude so compelled in such a way? Why was Jude so moved by the Holy Spirit of God, you may ask? And we know the letters were, uh, were already circul uh, circulating in those days. We know that uh, uninspired letters were circulating in those days. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, watch this, nor by letters as from us, as that the day, that day of Christ is at hand. There were already people, guys, writing false letters, signing Paul's false name, if you will, that Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow. They were setting dates all the way back in Paul's days, just as the perverts have done today. Setting dates and having people sell all they have, come and follow them, and all this and that, stand out in the field just like a bunch of just clueless, clueless, mindless people waiting for Jesus to come back. We were never told, hey guys, we were never told to wait, we were told to work, amen? We were never told to, we were told to long for it, we are told to look for it, but we were never told to be lazy, do you understand? Jesus Christ says, occupy till I come, amen? So Paul, Paul gave a great warning, as the letters as by us, and then the Holy Spirit of God compelled Jude to write this letter, warning them, these older and better manuscripts uh, that the, the perversions call, uh, they call them such because uh, God's preserved, preserved Word of God was found in the Texas Receptus. It's not so in the critical text, which removed 100,000 words nearly and changed about five times that number. Why and for what purpose? The whole reason, the whole reason behind it all was to shake your mind and your faith to change you to get your eyes off of jesus christ and the holy inspired word of god that's why jude was compelled to teach and to write such a letter so therefore jude was compelled to write a warning an encouragement for believers everywhere finally to contend to contend verse 3 again says that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered Unto the saints. Beloved, this word contend is a verb, is an action, if you will. It has its roots with the word agony. Earnestly contend has its roots uh, with the word agony. The, in the Bible, we find the word contend show up 14 times, yet only one time does it ever appear in the New Testament. It is right here. It means that we must agonize for our faith, to stand for the truth with great agony, with great labor, to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and 12, he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He says in verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. But let me tell you something this morning. The very first thing that we must fight in this world today, as we earnestly contend for the faith this morning, is we need to fight against self. Self has done more damage in our life today. It's done more damage in our days today, guys. And, and you'll see it's already up there, the second point. We'll get that in just a minute. Just hang on. Beloved, the greatest evidence of Christianity in this life today is how you and I live outside of the church. The greatest proof for or against the Word of God is how we obey His teachings. 
from the commitment to the local church to tithing. And I'm just going to again pause here for a second and say, beloved, you cannot be right with God if you're not tithing appropriately. That's hands down. Yes, the word tithe means one-tenth, and that's a starting point, amen? You are not right with God until you are tithing correctly. I don't care how many tracts you pass out. I don't care how, many, how faithful you are in church. It doesn't matter how much you read or pray. You've got to tithe in the manner that God has commanded us to do so if you want to be right with Him. And then we get to prayer. How faithful are we in our prayer? Our Bible reading, our witnessing, that's just to name a few today. And guys, you may say, well, preacher, I can't afford to do all those things. There isn't enough time or income. Guys, if you do not have enough time or money to honor and obey God, then you have too much time and too much money going on to the wrong things in the world today. That may rub you wrong. I understand that. That may hit an area that hasn't been hit either in a long time or ever. But I'm telling you, if you're going to earnestly contend for the faith today, you're going to have to take a stand to do the right things in the eyes of God. Jude is telling us to earnestly contend for the faith, to fight the good fight against self. And secondly, as you see, we must earnestly contend for the faith for sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Life-given, keeping words, my friend, pure words. Psalm 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. No other word is in this world, guys, are able to give and sustain life other than the word of God. No other word can give you eternal life. No other word can give you life in general than what you have inside this Word of God. Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. I'm going to tell you right now. I had an old lady one time, an old Christian lady, who made a commitment to God to pray every single day at 2 p.m. She asked God to heal her son, and she said, I'll pray every single day at 2 p.m., and uh, God healed her son, and she prayed every single day until the day she died at 2 p.m., and God touched her. And I used to go down to that lady's house, her and her husband's house, and I used to sit there and and chat with them and talk with them, have fellowship with them, drink coffee, obviously, with them, and have sweet fellowship with them and just talk about the goodness and the grace of God when I was a young, young, young preacher and a young pastor. But I'm going to tell you right now, we think in our life today that we can can get away from what the, the Word has given us. We, we think today that, 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 the, that the Word of God is going to remove us and somehow that we're not going to... Listen, when a child of God is sold out for the Lord and you're living right for God, there will be pleasantness in your words. That old lady told me one time, she says, Brother BJ, she said, do you know how uh, when you throw a rock out in a pack of dogs, not that we're throwing rocks at dogs all the time, but it's just an illustration. She said, you know what? You know how you know which one you hit when you... Throw a rock out in a pile of pack of dogs? I said, tell me, sister. She says, the one that yeps. And I know the things that I'm preaching right now Some of, maybe rubbing some of you guys wrong. And you may say, wait a second here. No, that, that hurts. Let it hurt because when it hurts, it's going to help you. You know the word sermon? You know what the word sermon literally means? It means to stab. It doesn't mean sweet little candy-coated message to make you feel good about your sin. It means to stab. And the very same Word of God, which is a sword of the Spirit, the very same one that, that slices is the very same one that heals. And so it's not a part of getting the message different. It's a part of you getting right if it's rubbing you wrong today. If you're that dog in that pack that's yelping, when I started preaching on tithing right, hey, you know what? There's one good way to dodge that rock, start doing right. When it comes to prayer, commitment to church, witnessing to people, doing the right things in the eyes of God, all you got to do is get right in the eyes of God. Then there'll be no yelping when that word comes around. Amen. 
I remember Pastor Ellis preaching words, and we were preaching hard sometimes, hard sometimes. And, and he would get all over our toes. And he said, the best way to, to not get your toes stepped on is just get them out of the way. Amen. David saying in Psalm 19, verse 8, he says, The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Guys, his words are sound, life-giving words. And they may rub you wrong at times. And Jude understood this. That's why Jude said, Man, I wanted to write of the common salvation. I wanted to bring lovely words. I wanted to talk about fellowship. I wanted to talk about joy and meekness and happiness. I wanted to talk about all of those things. But man, the Holy Spirit of God stepped in. And said, you're going to have to contend for the faith. You're going to have to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And those words in our life should be pure words. They should be sound words that we need to stand for. So, beloved, if you've ever wondered how or why false teachers have taken control of our village, our country, our entire land, is it because the false teachers are stronger than us? Not one bit. Is it because the devil is stronger than the Word of God? Not one bit. It is because believers today, somewhere along the way, have stopped earnestly contending for the faith. You know, Wales was once known as Wild Wild Wales. Two or three hundred years ago, guys, people were afraid to come into it. Even though our history goes back with Baptist to AD 63, there was a common salvation, a common teaching of the Word of God right here in our land that goes back into the days of the Apostle Paul. What a wonderful and tremendous heritage. But a heritage is only good as a hereditary line that follows. And there was a time when Wells was known as the Wild Wild Wells. Christmas Evans, the famous Baptist preacher in all of Wells, Preach up and down our country. And there was more, he was, he was, hey, listen, there were more eloquent men, there were more educated men, there were men who were granted a license to preach by the state church, or institution, I should call it, yet none of them could argue with the truth that Christmas Evans preached. None of them could argue with the, the stand that he took. None of them could, could contend with him, earnestly contending for the faith that was once given to the saints, beloved. None of them can do that. His manner of preaching was unknown. It was unseen for centuries in the land. But when that man stepped up into the pulpit, he preached with hoyle, which is exuberance or fun. is the only English transition, which is a weak transition. He preached with fire, with fervency. There was men of, he was not a man of stature. There were men who were more appealing looking than he, but rather uh, than, than being a man of stature, rather than being a man of prestige or preeminence. Guys, he was a man who earnestly contended for the faith against sin, and he stood for sound words, my friend. Do you know what that means for all of us today? It means, guys, that we're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to stand. If we're going to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, my friend, we are going to have to stand. Paul was able to say in his final letter, only weeks or months away from his execution, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The reason and the purpose of Jude's letter. He wanted to write about the common salvation. That was his heart's desire. He wanted to bring some comforting and sweet words, but the Holy Spirit of God, as always, knew better. Thus, he was compelled to write about a great need to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saint. And I say unto you, dear saint of God today, it is your turn to earnestly contend for the faith. Yes, you want to hear some sweet words. Yes, you want to be patted on the back. Yes, we want to hear all those things, and there's, there's time for that. But Jude says the time now is to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude says it's time now to take action. Jude said it's time now to be a doer of the word 
and not a hearer only. So I ask you this morning, my friend, are you earnestly contending for the faith this morning or are you just going through the motions? It's seen in your life. The greatest evidence of the Word of God is how you live your life outside of this church. Are you on, can you be in church when, it's, when, it's, it's a, when the doors are open? Can you be here on time? How about that? I can promise you this. You ain't late to work. Oh, preacher, but work pays my bills. No, it doesn't. God pays your bill by providing you a work. Amen. Can you be diligent at all times to the house of God? Can you be diligent to the word of God? Can you be diligent in prayer, in witnessing, in tithing, in giving to missions? Can you be diligent today to look at those that you say you love so much and give them the greatest gift, the faith? That was once delivered unto the saints. That's what we need to contend for today. And for some of us guys, it's time to stop playing games. It's time to get up, stand up, and earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together today. Lord, I just want to praise your wonderful name. I thank you for the inspired and errant word of God that we have today to apply into our life. And I simply ask you this morning to take your word, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict each and every one of us, Father, in the way that we need to be convicted, that we may draw ever so closer to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for who and what you are. And we simply ask you today that if you will, bear witness upon our soul, make a difference in our life, thus make a difference in our walk, make a difference in our work and our ways, and allow us, dear Father, to make a difference in witnessing the precious gospel that's been given unto the saints before. Lord, I love you. I thank you, give you honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus Christ's precious name, we ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today,
What would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.